You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you this morning? Why do you guys look so rested? Why do you look so well? Some of you guys, I haven't seen you in the first gathering in a long time. And you're like, it's not, it's not 930. You know what? I'm just going to play it off and act like I try to go to first gathering. Well, welcome. Hope you guys enjoyed an extra hour this morning. Uh, Why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, where we are going to wrap up our series here, Return of the King. And as you turn there, I'm just curious, how many of you recall the movie that came out in 2013 called Olympus Has Fallen? Anybody? Okay. All right. Some Gerard Butler fans in here. Dudes? Oh, yes. Olympus Has Fallen. For those of you who haven't seen it, this was a movie that asked the question, what would it be like if the heart of our nation if the capital of our country, if the seat of power and authority that represents our freedom, what would it be like if it was taken over by a foreign power? It's kind of scary. I mean, the picture says it all. The White House is on fire. And so I, I, I do like action movies. I love a good act. Gerard Butler looking like a boss in front of the White House. That, that, I wanted to go see that, and I saw it. But here's what I realized this week as I prepared my message. Action movies like that hit a little bit too close to home in 2023. All of the turbulence, all of the turmoil. What if that scenario was not as fantastical as we once thought? The end of the world as we know it the failure of a nation, political upheaval. Friends, I mean, these are, these are not just action movie tropes. I mean, these are, these are real things in our world today, and it produces fear. We're living in dangerous times, and dangerous times produce anxiety. What kind of world will we grow up in? What kind of world will our children grow up in? As followers of Jesus, there's, there's an extra layer of concern to this whole thing because the world is fundamentally opposed to our way of life. And so what will happen to us? What's happening to this world? What's happening to our nation? And where is God in all of this? This morning, we're going to look at a time before movies, a time well before Gerard Butler was born, where the, this very thing that I just described to you happened in Jerusalem, and I call it Jerusalem has fallen. The history books tell us that Christians were severely persecuted in Israel, and in AD 70, Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed. A foreign superpower surrounded, invaded, and utterly destroyed the capital city of Israel called Jerusalem. And so here's what we're going to see this morning. Before Jesus ever went to the cross, he told his disciples exactly what would happen. Forty years before Rome destroyed Jerusalem, Jesus prophesied the exact event. He prophesied it 40 years ahead of time. Why? So that his disciples would know that they needed to be on guard 
and stay awake. Be on guard and stay awake. And as we hear his guidance this morning for how they can handle their future, friends, we are going to find encouragement, wisdom, strength, comfort, so that we can face the uncertainty of our own future. So here we go, Mark chapter 13. And I'm just going to tell you up front, this is a very long and complicated passage. How many of you read Mark 13 coming into this week? Look at all you good, good East Pointers doing your homework. I had never sent out an email with homework before, but I was like, they need to read these verses. Um, And so I'm glad you read it. Very long and complicated passage, but let me help you understand this, okay? If we could understand this small detail, we'll be able to get our minds wrapped around it, and it's this. Jesus is actually prophesying about two different days, okay? He's prophesying about one day that's in the disciples' future, On which we look back. But he's also uh, prophesying about a day in our future, and in that we look forward. Two different days, one in their future, our past, and one in our future, and we look forward. And so let's roll. Mark chapter 13, let's break it down verse by verse, starting in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Pause right there. We learn right off the jump here that impressive buildings are no substitute for hard hearts. Impressive buildings are no substitute for hard hearts. They're exiting the temple, and the disciples, they're doing one of these. They're going, wow. And they're looking around at this temple. They go, Jesus, teacher, look. What wonderful buildings. What wonderful stones. Aren't these impressive? And I don't know if you're an ancient Near Eastern historian or not, but I'm telling you, the descriptions of Herod's temple that he was building were crazy impressive. At the time that Jesus was speaking here, this construction project had already been underway for 50 years. One of the historians of their day says this, the thickness of each column was such that it would take three men with outstretched arms touching one another to envelop it. Guys, the temple would be a world wonder today in 2023. That's how impressive it was. And so the disciples, they're wowed. They go, wow, look at these buildings. And Jesus says to them, oh yeah? You see these great buildings? You you see all these stones that you're impressed by? There will not be left here one stone upon another. And if you miss this verse, you're going to miss the entire chapter. Jesus just prophesied. Prophet Jesus just gave a foretelling of the future. Did you catch his prophecy? He just prophesied the destruction of this temple. He just prophesied that this impressive building that awed the disciples would be torn down. The religious center of their faith community would be completely dismantled. And here's his point. Jesus is not trying to make it a bummer of a day, but here's his point. Do not let the impressive nature of the building distract you from just how bankrupt the temple is. 
We've been watching Jesus for weeks now. He's come and he has confronted hard hearts, duplicity, hypocrisy, empty religion. Don't be impressed by the glitz of their building because God is not impressed with the temple. As a matter of fact, he's going to judge it all. All of the fake religion, all of the spiritual abuse that has taken place in this temple by corrupt leaders, it is going to culminate in the judgment of God. Do you remember how when Jesus saw the corruption in the, table, in the temple, he flipped tables? Well, God is going to come flip things. The very temple. And so what does Jesus do? It says here, he sits down on the Mount of Olives, Olives opposite the temple. What a visual. God is not on the side of the temple. He's opposed to it. And so real quick here, because we got to keep moving. As the disciples are wowed, I just want to have a little East Point huddle here. Realize that it is very easy to become enamored with and impressed by the infrastructure of our ministries and programs. We need to remember that God is not focused on the size of our congregations. He's not focused on the size of our budgets. He's not focused on the nature of our buildings. Thank you, Lord, for the YMCA. He's focused on the motivations of our heart. Don't be impressed. Impressive buildings are no substitute for hard hearts. And so he's prophesying the destruction of the temple. And so for us, on this side of history, we look back on AD 70 and we know exactly what he's talking about. But from the disciples' point of view, these things have not happened yet. And so the question they ask very naturally is, when will these things be? What? This is going to be destroyed? Jesus, what will be the sign? How will we know when the temple will be destroyed? How do we know when Jerusalem will be overthrown? So let's see what Jesus says. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is prophesying here and he's saying that gospel opposition will spell gospel opportunity. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? When will the temple be ransacked? And Jesus says, wait, 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 time out. Before Jerusalem falls, first, the gospel will spread. Don't mistake the timing of this thing. Don't misread the signs. Look what you're going to encounter. You're going to experience false Christs who come and say, I am he. Don't be led astray by them. It's not time yet. You're going to experience political turmoil, war, rumors of war, nation against nation. Don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. 
you're going to experience natural disasters like earthquakes, political ruin, or not political, economic ruin. We got famines that will be happening in Jerusalem. Surely, with famines and earthquakes, surely the world as we know it must be ending, right, Jesus? He goes, nope. Those things might cause you to think that the end of Jerusalem is near, but it's still not time. Don't be confused. These are not actually signs of the end. Let me say that again. These are not signs of the end. They're actually signs of the beginning. He says, these are not the signs that tell you to start pushing. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. These are the signs that tell you we're just getting started. These are the earliest contractions. And so when you see these things happening, don't be alarmed. There is still time. Because before Jerusalem is destroyed, the gospel must be launched from Jerusalem. And so he says it here, they will deliver you over to councils. Followers of Jesus will be beaten in synagogues. He says here that your own family, look at this, your own family will deliver you over. A few years ago, I lived outside of Portland during COVID, and do you know that they did this thing in Portland? They said they, they created a way for you to secretly report someone who wasn't social distancing. Did you guys have that out here in Maryland by any chance? Yeah, yeah, welcome to Portland, you know. And so we're living in Portland, and they literally tried to deputize your neighbors against you. And so you'd be walking out to the mailbox like, who's looking through their window? You know, you just, because we can report on each other. Imagine a day where you can report on your neighbor, not because of their mask situation, but because of their faith situation. And he goes, brother will turn in brother. Hey, my brother, he's one of those followers. Father against children. My, my children, I hate to say, but they've become one of those followers. Siblings. Hey, the, my parents, my parents are now following the way. And they will be delivering over each other for death. He says it here. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. This is what awaits you as followers. Jesus has told us three times in this book already, they're going to deliver me over for death. And now he's preparing his disciples. They will also deliver you over for death. Thanks, Jesus. Bummer. What is, where's the good news in this? He goes, no, 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 you have to understand this. They think that they're the ones calling the shots, but it's actually me. Listen to this. Here's the encouragement. All of this opposition, all of this hostility will actually be used by me in my sovereign hands as an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed to all nations. They're going to put you on trial thinking to silence you, but I am placing you in a certain position so that you can bear witness before kings. They're dragging you across the world thinking that they're stopping you. But in reality, they're providing the Uber ride for the, my followers. The very things that they think they're doing to clamp down the gospel. He goes, be encouraged because the gospel will spread from Jerusalem. And not, not in spite of persecution, but actually even because of it. And in those moments, followers of Jesus, in those moments when you're experiencing the opposition and the hostility of a hateful world, he says, don't be anxious what to say. When you stand before kings, don't get out your speech textbook from college. When you're standing in hostile circles, don't try to remember what would be good oratory. He goes, no, no, the Holy Spirit will give you words, and he will transform you 
blue-collar farmer. He will transform you, waterman. He will transform you, lawyer. He will transform you, plumber. He will transform you, stay-at-home parent. He will transform you into a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Remember, Jesus is telling them something that has yet to happen for them, but we're on this side of history. And if you go, friends, if you go to the book of Acts, everything that Jesus just said would happen, the book of Acts is a commentary for it. Does any of this sound familiar, right? Peter and James and John, they're taking notes going, we're going to have what? Brothers are going to turn in what? Rumors of war? What famines? Every single one of those things is captured in the book of Acts. Just as Jesus said it would. We see blue-collar fishermen transformed into bold proclaimers standing in the face of opposition before the high priest and the council saying, it's better to obey God than man. Take your whip somewhere else. This is what awaits you. So be on guard. You can understand why Jesus is telling them this ahead of time. Because it will be hard. They need to know. We need to know what is coming so that we can be on guard. Jesus is saying, be prepared. Can you imagine a soldier wandering out into a battlefield in his slippers and pajamas? Picture it. Think about it. Ruminate on that illustration. A a soldier wandering onto the battlefield in slippers and pajamas and everything inside of us goes, do you, are you not aware of the situation you're in? You are completely unprepared. We're at war. And so Jesus is telling us so that we don't wander into the battlefield that awaits us with slippers and pajamas. To follow Jesus requires a wartime mentality. It's a hostile world out there. So be on guard. And here's the encouragement, follower of Jesus. And it's not from me. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. I'm not trying to rally you and, and muster something. This is what Jesus says. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Whether our opposition ends in martyrdom, like it did for the disciples, or not, those who don't abandon the faith, those who endure the suffering and the opposition of this world will discover an eternal crown of glory awaiting us on the other side. Jesus isn't sugarcoating this, but he's encouraging them. They may kill your body, but I got your soul. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So East Point Church, this is God's promise for us. Though we live in a world that is antagonistic toward our way, right? And, And how many of you know that the world is antagonistic toward the way of Christ? I'm friendly I'm an extrovert. I'm friends with a lot of people. I I like to think that I'm likable. I have lots of friends that are not followers of Jesus. But when push comes to shove, when I'm pressed on an issue, when I'm forced to give a black and white, here's where I stand on things, nine times out of ten, I'm in the minority. And I know I'm a people pleaser. I want to be liked. I want people to, no, it's, it's actually really reasonable to be a follower of Jesus. But at the end of the day, what we stand for It's opposed to the operating system of the world. And here's the promise. Opposition will result in opportunity. The things that you think are silencing your message, the things that you think think are, are keeping you down, friends, be encouraged. God's using those in his sovereign hands. Number two, be encouraged. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. He will make you brave. How many of you would say that you're brave enough to stand up on a stage and preach to thousands? Right? 
But if push comes to shove, guess what? It won't be you speaking. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. And let me be honest. I, I just said that illustration as if that was the scariest thing. You know what's even more scary than standing on a stage with thousands? Standing in a room of two other moms. And they turn to you and say, so what do you believe on this issue? Put me on the stage. <laughs> Put me on the stage, right? Whatever your situation is, that's scary. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. And then number three, your endurance in suffering will result in salvation. Gospel opposition will spell gospel opportunity. So let's keep going here. Jesus has still not answered the question. <laughs> How will we know when the temple is going to be destroyed? How will we know when Jerusalem is going to be overthrown? What will be the sign? He still hasn't given us the sign. He's given us anti-signs. He goes, you see this sign, this sign, this sign? Yeah, it's not a sign of the end. So what's the sign of the end? He goes, let me tell you. Let me tell you. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who was on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus is not mincing words. The judgment of Jerusalem will be a terrible tribulation. He goes, here's how you know when it's time to run, Andrew. Here's how you know when it's time to run, Peter. Hey, James and John, here's how you know when it's time to get out of Dodge. When you see the abomination of desolation. Now we got to explain this. If I said to you right now, I have a dream. How many of you know what I'm referring to? Okay, good. If I said to you, um, one small step for man. Not, okay, cool, cool, cool. If I said four score and seven years ago, our forefathers. You know who I'm talking about? If you shook your head at least two out of those three times, you need to get Google right now, okay? You see, there's certain things in our culture that, that I say them as historical references, and without even needing to explain, we all understood what I was alluding to. It's the same thing here. When Jesus says the abomination of desolation, every single reader knew what he was talking about. And let me tell you what they were talking about. You see, back in Israel's history, after they left captivity in Babylon— Okay, so after they came back into Israel, they started rebuilding their temple. It's called Second Temple Judaism. And as they're rebuilding their temple, there was a Greek general, okay, ancestor of um, Alexander the Great, Greek general who didn't just want to conquer Israel. He didn't just want to conquer Jerusalem. He wanted to crush their spirits. And so this Greek general named Antiochus Epiphanes, I mean, he doesn't need to explain this. Every Jew knew who Antiochus Epiphanes was, just like the Holocaust today. Nobody has to explain what the Holocaust is. And Antiochus Epiphanes, he walked into the temple. He wanted to spit on their whole religion. He took a pig, 
which Jews believe are unholy. He took a pig, strided, strode, walked into the Holy of Holies where no one ought to stand, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Can you spit on their faith anymore, right? Can you, can you disrespect? He profaned the altar. You can read about this in 2 Maccabees, which is just a history book. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, he actually prophesied about that event decades before it happened. And so here's what Jesus' point is here as he references the abomination. He, Jesus is saying, you will yet again experience a foreign power invading and desecrating the temple. You will experience a deja vu situation, another abomination of desolation. Friends, Jerusalem has fallen. This time it will actually be a sequel because you've seen this one before with Antiochus Epiphanes. But this time it won't be a Greek invading it will be a Roman. And so here's his point. When you see this situation happening again, run. Flee to the mountains. When you see him at the gates, don't turn back. Don't run back inside. You don't have time to get your coats. When you see that army arriving, run. Get out of the city because the time of judgment has come. That's what he's saying. It will be so terrible. Jesus is being honest. He goes, you need to get out. It will be so terrible that it hurts my heart to even think about the innocents who will be caught in the crossfire. He says, alas, right? That's an expression of pain. He goes, alas, like, oh my goodness, when I think about pregnant women and nursing moms, right, who can't travel as easily. He says, pray, pray that it doesn't happen in winter when all the wadis are flooded and the highways are washed out and traveling is much more difficult. He goes, it will be such a terrible tribulation that God himself, if he didn't cut the day short, if he didn't restrain his arm of judgment, if he didn't hold back the Romans, no one would survive. This will be such a terrible tribulation. And in that moment, in that moment, in the middle of that horrible situation, there will be people who rise up and will try to rally a defense, and they will say, the Messiah's with us. Come on, if we fight right now, we can defend the temple. If we arise right now, Jesus, as a matter of fact, I saw him. The Messiah's here. Fight. And Jesus says, don't believe them. Don't believe them. I will be there, but not on the side of the temple. And the history books tell us that this is actually exactly what happened. You can read about it. It's it was a massacre. Zealots, were, 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 they, they stood up from within the, the Israelites, and they said, Jesus will come back once we start fighting. And then they were starting to take losses, and they changed their, their tune. They said, no, 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 we got to fall back to the temple, because as soon as, as soon as it's the last straw, Jesus will only show up when, when this is the last straw. And instead of running from the city, like Jesus said, they were slaughtered at the temple by Romans made an example of, and burned to the ground. And guess what? Not one stone of the temple remained on top of another. Obviously, we didn't experience the tribulation described here, right? Remember, we're looking back. This was in their future, but we're looking back on this event. And so obviously, we didn't experience that tribulation. But whatever our tribulation is, whatever our crisis is, we can take encouragement from these words. Right here, where does he say it? 
I have told you all things beforehand. I've told you, disciples, beforehand to show you that this is all a part of the plan. I already know what's coming, so you need not fear. I'm not surprised, so you need not be worried. East Point Church, he's not surprised by what you face. So we don't need to let our faith shake. We don't need to let fear reign. Don't think for a moment that the plan is off the rails. Don't think for a moment that Jesus is off the throne. In the midst of even our worst days and crises, in the face of terrible pain, you and I can take comfort knowing that he sees it all. He sees it all. He sees it all. And he is perfectly steering Every, even the bad and evil things. He's steering those according to his plan. He is not surprised, so we need not be worried. And so be on guard. Keep the faith. Keep fighting. Stay focused and stay faithful. Be on guard in your tribulations. And remember, this tribulation, it won't last forever. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The days of gloom will give way to days of glory. Jesus has been prophesying about a day of destruction in their future, but our past, right? But now, we got to catch the switch here, otherwise this won't make sense. He's now switching. He's now prophesying about a day in our future, a day to which we now turn. We're no longer looking back. We're now looking ahead. He switches the language from these things to those days. And so he says, after that tribulation. He doesn't say how long after. 2,000 years later, let me say it again. He doesn't say how long after, but he says after the tribulation. And we can just pause there and rejoice. Can we just sing that song? After the tribulation. You know what after the tribulation means? It means there will be an after. It means tribulation will not last forever. Eventually, all of the pain, all of the sadness, all of the crisis will subside and give way to an infinitely greater day. Some of you are in tribulation this morning, and you need to hear, after the tribulation, there's a better day coming. And you know what that day is? Jesus is coming back. The Son of Man, he's going to be coming, but this time not in a manger. This time he's riding the clouds. He's coming in power. He's coming in glory. This is our blessed hope. And he, I love how he uses Joel chapter 2 imagery here, right? The sun and the moon and the stars, right? When Jesus comes back, this will not be local news. This will not even be national news. It's not even international. This is universally recognized news. The cosmos itself are paying attention and responding. What Jesus is going to do at the end of this era catches the attention of the sun and the moon and the stars. And the importance of that day will, will reverberate throughout the galaxy. Jesus 
is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Noted, Jesus. Moving on. Not Jesus is coming back. And if we don't stop there and acknowledge that this is one of the pillars of our faith, the G- what good news is there if Jesus said, I'm leaving you on earth, the brothers are going to hate brothers, everybody's going to hate you, you're going to be persecuted, see on the other side. He goes, no, 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 this is all moving toward my desired sovereign plan. And guess what my plan culminates in? I'm coming back. And when he comes back, it's not for a visit it's to collect his. He says, I will send my messengers and I, he will gather his elect. He will gather those of you that he has chosen out of the world. One day you will be taken out of the world. And here's my favorite part of this whole passage. You got to catch this. Where will he find people that belong to him? Not in Jerusalem, not in Judea, no, no. from the ends of the earth. Sound familiar? The very places that he has sent his disciples to proclaim the gospel, the very places that they're going to be dragged, the seeds of the gospel all over the world that are being watered with the blood of martyrs, in those very places when he comes back, there will be a harvest of followers from the ends of the earth, starting with 12 in Jerusalem. By the time he comes back, there will be millions all over the globe. Jesus is coming back. Our turmoil, our uncertainty, our pain will not last forever because my king of heaven is returning for me. And your age of gloom, opposition, and struggle will give way to glory. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Somebody needs to memorize that this morning. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. You just memorized scripture. Nice job. That's what's coming, friends. There's coming a day where we will be with him forever. And so look how Jesus ends here. Look at the final two metaphors that he gives. Because you've got to remember them. And you've got to watch them. He says, from the fig tree... Learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Final point this morning, remember the fig tree and watch the door. That's a great t-shirt, East Point Church swag. Remember the fig tree, watch the door. 
telling you guys. I'll be here all day. So listen, let's close it like this. Jesus has prophesied about two different days, remember? A day in their future, to which we look back, and a day in our future, to, to which we look ahead. And so he ends with two word pictures, one for each, okay? So speaking about this day, the destruction of Jerusalem, these things, he gives an illustration. He says, look at the fig tree. The fig tree has signs, right? When you see the branches shooting out, when you see the leaves becoming tender, all these things, read the signs of the fig tree and you will know when summer is near. In the same way, he says, when you see the signs I've told you about, they're at the very gates, all right? So what will be the sign? I've given you the sign. Pay attention to the sign. Remember the fig tree. So when you see those things happening, know that what I have said to you is coming. And then look what he does here. This is so helpful for those of us who live thousands of years later. He actually puts a time stamp on his prophecy. Look what he says. He says, when you see these things, he's at the very gates. When will this happen? This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So he's saying to them, it's going to be a while. Follow the signs, but I'm telling you this, it will happen in your lifetime. This generation that I'm speaking to, disciples, this is going to happen in your lifetime. Trust me on this. My words will not pass away. I'm not a false prophet. I am not a fake Messiah. You can take my prophecy to the bank. This will happen in your lifetime. The heavens and the earth have an expiration date. They will melt away. They will expire. They will get moldy. And Jesus will make new ones. But his words have no expiration date. And so for us, here's why it's important for us to remember the fig tree. We're remembering the fig tree, not because we're trying to figure out when Jerusalem will be destroyed. No, that's in our past. But we remember the fig tree and realize he was right. He prophesied that 40 years before it happened. And it happened every last word that he said happened. And so for us, the importance of the fig tree is not to know when Rome is coming, but it's to be encouraged to go, He was right. And if he was right about that prophecy, can we believe him about our future? If he was right about the event in their future, then we can take courage. He's right, and he's not lying. It will happen, the event that he prophesies for our future, even as we look forward to his second coming. So remember the fig tree. Read the signs. And then he also says, watch the door. Now he switches. You see how he's switching? He goes, but concerning that day, two different days he's prophesying, but concerning that day, the second thing that I prophesied about, sorry to tell you, there are no signs. There are no signs. No one knows, he says. No one knows. Man, have we gotten it wrong. Well, the signs, we live in the end times, and now it's coming, and the end is near. He just told us there are no signs. He goes, read the signs of the fig tree. But for that day, yeah, there are no signs. No one knows. Angels don't know. He goes, the son of man doesn't even know. And so he gives the metaphor of a doorkeeper. He says, you got to be on guard and keep awake. Because there are no signs. Be on guard and keep awake. Be in garden, stay awake. And so he gives this metaphor of a doorkeeper. He goes, imagine, imagine a master who's leaving at, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, all right, guys, I'm going on a long journey. I have no idea when I'll be back. So he gives everybody their job descriptions. You're the cook, you're the cleaner, and you're the doorkeeper. 
And, you know, we don't have keys, so I need somebody from the inside to unlock the door when I come back. And so your job is to stand by the door and to watch, and when you see me coming, open it. Okay, no problem. I'll just set an alarm. I'm going to go take a nap. You just tell me when you're coming, and I'll wake up to open the door. He goes, bummer, we don't have alarm clocks yet, so you're just going to have to stay awake. And that's the job of the doorkeeper. Stay awake. Stay vigilant. Always watching. Always ready to spring up and greet him. Do you get the metaphor, friends? We have to be like the doorkeeper. We don't know when Jesus will return on the clouds. There are no signs so that we can like clue us in and go, okay, it's time to get ready. The master's coming. He goes, it will come like a thief in the night. There are no signs. It can come at any time. So what do we do? Be like the doorman. How do I know? How do, if I don't know when he's coming, how can I be ready? Be like the doorman. Be on guard and keep awake. Be on guard and stay awake because he's coming and you know when yeah me neither it's so interesting here i want to end with this do you realize how jesus says that he himself doesn't even know isn't that the most bizarre verse in the bible i the son of god i don't even know when the father is going to tap me in and say go get him And in history, people have actually used this verse. Scholars and theologians have actually used this verse as proof that Jesus is not fully God. And I'm telling you, they are missing it. Because the more I think about this, it's actually one of the most powerful, shocking realities of the incarnation. And it's this. Jesus himself is providing us an example. Jesus has so powerfully identified with us. He has so fully entered into our situation that he becomes our example. He says, I will continue to follow the Father. I will continue to be faithful to his plan even when I don't know the timing, even when I don't know the timeline. I will stay vigilant. I will trust him. Do the same. Follow me. He goes, I'm going to be on guard and stay awake. Do the same. And so Jesus is not admitting a weakness. He's showing us a withness. And he goes, I'm with you in this. Be awake. Stay vigilant. And when the Father sends me, we'll be ready. Be on guard and stay awake. And so church, days of opposition are among us. Be on guard. Stay faithful. Those of you who endure to the end will be saved. But also, days of unimaginable glory will also come. Be awake. Stay alert. Maintain your spiritual alacrity, church. Jesus is coming back. And will he find you asleep, having forgotten his imminent return? Or like the faithful doorkeeper, will he find you faithfully awaiting his second coming. Be on guard and stay awake as we await the return of the king. Father, we love you, Lord. We are so grateful for who you are and what you've done, Lord. You gave us this prophecy. You gave your original disciples this prophecy to show them that you are truly in control of all things. And so, Lord, we take comfort in knowing that you control it all. Father, we, we, we maintain our prayerful and prepared posture as we be on guard against opposition. You've told us, Lord, this world will hate us. So, Lord, help us to maintain our preparedness.
But then, Lord, you also gave us the final hope, our blessed hope, that you are coming back. Lord Jesus, would you come quickly? Lord Jesus, would you touch our hearts so that we would long for your second coming? Make us a people who long for your second coming. Make us a people who eagerly look out the windows of the, of the, of the house to say, is the master back yet? Help us to stay awake and to be alert by your Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this whole series, Lord, how sweet it has been to have you just confront us, to to have real conversations about true religion versus fake spirituality. Father, I pray that the lessons of the last eight weeks would be sealed in our hearts. Seal them, Father. Like seed in the ground, may they produce a harvest of righteousness and faithfulness forevermore. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.